0: This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 216. And the quote of the day is, you can change the world with your talents. It just takes courage and learning how to use them. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Rafini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. This is session 216, and if you're looking for... Other episodes, uh, you can go to iTunes, Stitcher, all that, and you can find the most recent 50. Also, all 216 of them are at drummersresource.com. You can also search in the top right-hand side of the website, and you'll be able to find whoever you're looking for. And also, while you're there, you can sign up for the mailing list, and I'll send you a copy of my ebook Stick Control Variation. So, that's 11 creative exercises that'll help you with your speed, your chops, your independence, and you can get that, again, 100% free at drummersresource.com. Now, the conversation I have today is with Daphnis Prieto, and I have never met Daphnis before, so this was great. I've obviously known about his work, uh, but have never had the pleasure of meeting him or chatting with him, so this is cool. I get to know him through this interview the same way that you do, and he shares... Some great stories about growing up in Cuba and his approach to learning clave and then learning Latin music and applying it into your playing musically, not just learning patterns and things like that and practice techniques and and just some really interesting stuff. He's a, he's a really interesting guy who has a lot of insight and he's a professor now at the University of Miami after living in New York for about 15 or 16 years. So we get all into that and a lot more so I'm not going to take up any more of your time. Let's get into it now with the one and only Daphnis Prieto Daphnis, how are you? Thank you for doing this I appreciate it I'm doing great, Nick Thank you How are you? Um, I'm doing well It's a pleasure to have you And uh, so you're so, so we were just talking I Originally I thought that you were in New York But you're in Florida Now you were in New York for a little while though, correct?
1: I did I lived in New York for 16 years
0: Okay What What prompted the move to Florida? The warm weather? Because that would
1: get Whoa. me That's one of the main uh, things, uh, the warm weather, but also I had the possibility to start teaching here at the University of Miami.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: So I actually uh, started doing that a year and a half ago, and that has been going very well. Uh, I also like the idea of being closer to nature Mm -hmm. and the idea of being closer to my uh, habitat, which is, you know, as you know, uh, I'm coming from Cuba. Right. So Florida is much closer to me in terms of the weather and the the whole uh, you know nature and environment. So in a way, uh, you know, I feel I feel closer home here mm-hmm. than I was in in New York. I mean, I had a great time in New York, and there's nothing wrong with it.
0: But um, I get it. I live here now. It's cold. Yeah. I know that's the, my only thing is it's cold.
1: <laughs> but uh, you know, the weather is is good, and you have the possibility to have a, a wider uh, entrance uh, into the university here at Frost School of Music, which mm-hmm. they have actually welcomed me uh, very well, and um, and that's that. You know, it's, it's a few few things.
0: So this this may be a dumb question, but before uh, the U.S. sort of opened or before the U.S. allowed travel between Cuba and here, were you you were still able to go back to Cuba if you wanted to, though? Correct.
1: Well, yeah. Uh, because since you have dual Ob-
0: citizenship? Or...
1: Yes, I do. Uh, since Obama administration, mm-hmm. um, he actually uh, took away the restrictions that were done by Butch uh, for eight years that only allowed us to go to Cuba once every three years. So we had some kind of... A, a
0: very big restriction. Oh, so even you had a restriction too. Okay.
1: Yeah, everyone everyone that uh that had uh that was coming from Cuba and lived here even though they have the citizenship or anything, you know, mm-hmm. any uh legal documentation, uh, they they were only allowed to be to go there uh once every 3 years. That that was actually something that was uh, uh done by uh by Bush. Mhm. By w. Bush and uh, and that uh, you know every Cuban here in the U.S. had to suffer that for um, for eight years and Obama took that away, which was a great uh, the first great step, and then now uh, yeah we after that we've been able to go there freely with no uh, limitations, and uh, cool. and it's- now I guess they open up for Americans also to go there etc.
0: Right and I had so for me I. I'm in the process of getting dual citizenship for Italy. And mm-hmm. at the before I was like, oh, it'd be great because I could go to Cuba because I've always wanted to go. But now yeah. they open up the restrictions so anybody could go, which is even better. Yeah. So I'm excited about, about going down there. And I'm guessing you still have a bunch of family down there, right?
1: Oh, well, I do. I have, all, you know, basically all my family is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, yeah, I have a lot of friends also that are still there. A lot of them have left Cuba, but, but some of them are still in. In, in Cuba. So I go on a visit, you know, um you know, it's just very important to, to understand that, that, that humanity should always go uh, above politics. Mm-hmm. And uh and it's a shame that politics has interfered so much in humanity. And uh and that's the reason why I'm um you know I'm glad that, that Obama had the courage and the possibility uh to really uh you know to Take away uh, all the restrictions that have been going just for the sake of of the human aspect of it, besides the politics of it or, or any interest that they may have uh, as as countries. Mm-hmm. But you mm-hmm. know, the idea that that I was not allowed to go to Cuba uh, every three years—that uh, was uh, that that law was made by a politician that does have no idea of what I'm going through uh, personally—is right. uh, really shameful.
0: Yeah. You know, i so, mean and i can't imagine what that's like not being able to go back you know and and being you're being limited to how much you can see your friends and your family and things like that because those they couldn't come to the united states most of them either right that's correct because yeah. they're coming from cuba mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. So, so what just, mm. what prompted the move to the us and to new york was it music
1: well it was mainly uh, music um that was a long story because um i was living in barcelona in 1997, I lived there for almost two years. And then I started actually doing the, my legal papers to become a resident a residence in, in Spain. And by that time, I had an invitation to come to uh, Canada and the US to do a tour with a saxophonist uh, uh, named Jane Bunetz. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, I came, uh, did the tour. And then when I wanted to go back to Spain, uh, uh, the, the embassy uh, denied my visa. So I had, uh, they denied my visa. <clears throat> I was already, you know, on the process of the residency. I showed them that I actually was in the process of, re- of residency, but they obviously didn't care. <laughs> and... um and uh, then i was stuck in canada in toronto so then it, it became my one of my uh, uh ordeals of of trying to actually uh, figure out what i was going to do with my life mm-hmm. once more and uh many friends in toronto told me that what i really wanted to do and and, and you know the kind of things that i want to approach musically the best way for me it was actually if I moved to uh, to New York. Mm. New York was not necessarily my uh, cup of tea. Uh, I came to New York before uh, playing with a band from Cuba. Uh, and I didn't really, I mean, I appreciate the idea that that was a very rumbling and and very practical uh, place to, to be kind of in the center of the world, if mm. you might say. But, uh, but at some point, the lifestyle was not the one that I was looking for. Uh, but uh, ironically enough, Destiny uh, played uh, a big game on me. So I actually um, end up uh convincing myself that the best way for me was actually coming to new york and that happened in 1999 and uh and that was that that's that that was uh you know i came here with a small bag and a pair of sticks right and now when i moved to florida i had a, a full uh truck of stuff. <laughs> and i say oh my goodness how how and when did that happen
0: yeah where did I get all why did I buy all this stuff now I gotta move it all (laughs) I know
1: yeah yeah so but anyway I mean that's that's a kind of the long story in a nutshell
0: you know so I want uh we'll bounce around a little bit timeline wise but Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about you growing up in Cuba and obviously stylistically uh I think influenced your playing Mm -hmm. mostly uh correct me if I'm wrong that would be where most of your influence came from right sure of course so what what sort of things where because i think it's different than the united states in and you can correct me if i'm wrong with this where where the music there is more part of the culture than it is here i mean everybody here listens to music but i think that Mm -hmm. you're the sort of the carnival music and and things like that are more ingrained as a cultural thing and even if you don't become a musician sort of everybody sort of plays music am i am i wrong in
1: that yeah, there is a much uh, much deeper sense of awareness of mm-hmm. cultural uh, heritage and uh, and that it doesn't even have to be uh, taught in school because uh, by the time you get there you already know so much in terms of of the basics of of your culture and and you know even though sometimes they teach you some stuff at school you you, you identify yourself oh yeah that I've heard that before since I was three years old sure so that kind of thing. I mean, uh, I was fortunate to be born or, and to be raised in a poor neighborhood uh, uh, on, in Santa Clara in mm-hmm. Cuba. And I'm saying uh, that I was fortunate because uh, besides being poor, and it really taught me in a human level that uh, it doesn't matter how much you have, as much as you have those human values, uh, very place in your heart and your mm-hmm.
2: mind. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: the other thing was actually uh, the amount of music that I heard, um, the rumba, people playing rumba on the street uh, and rehearsing in the houses. And uh, as you very well said, uh, you know, the culture was very integrated in the way of, of people living. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, I grew up and and understood and, and was aware uh, of of all these things
0: uh
1: since very early uh, age.
0: Um so when you started to to really get into playing, I'm guessing that you didn't have to sit down and they'd say, okay, this is clave, this is cascara, this is rumba. this I mean, did you have to did you have no. to study that stuff or was it was just sort of naturally happening? Well
1: as a matter of fact, uh I've learned all these uh, basic uh, rhythmic elements and, and patterns and uh, outside of the school because the school, I started this, the, the actual school when I was, uh, the music school, when I was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And, and the only training or most of the training that I had there, it was basically classical training. Okay. So I didn't really learn in a sitting in the room uh uh in a school um any of this given culture mm-hmm. or rhythms per se even I mean some of the pieces that we play let's say within the repertoire of the school you know they involve that but somehow we already we already were aware so we don't talk about those things if there is not a problem with it. Right. You know, right. nobody is going to show you, um, uh, that the song, uh, it looks, uh, yellow if, if both agree that it looks yellow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, that's the end of the conversation right sure. there. You know, uh, so, so, you know, I had a, a basically a, a classical training mm-hmm. and that was mostly what I focused on my early, uh, studies. I did that, uh, uh, for 4 years in my hometown of Santa Clara.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I uh, I went to Havana. I, we we had to do an exam to 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 pass uh the, to the next level which was the in the National School of Music in Havana. So, uh I went to Havana. I was 14 years old. And then uh I, I was in Havana in the National School of Music for until I was 18. And then um, and then that's that. I mean, you know, inside of the school in Havana, I also, you know, start playing some other kind of music and getting more involved into jazz. But even jazz, to me, I, I started getting, being more aware of jazz, but we had a really nice uh, big band mm-hmm. in Santa Clara when I was a a kid, I was like 10 years old or so. And, um, uh, they, they used to play around town many times and, and they had a, a, an amazing repertoire. They were playing some minor Ferguson stuff, some, uh, Herbie Hancock things, uh, big band. They, they did some arrangements of, of those pieces and, and, um, you know, a, a wide repertoire of, of jazz, uh, within the big band, um, you know, um, settings. So, so I was very fascinated by that. And then, and then, um, you know, I, I became interested in, in that way of, of, of playing music and approaching music. And, and from then on, little by little, I start, uh, you know, getting, sneaking my head into uh, other, um, into other, uh, you know, musicians from the jazz scene, from mm-hmm. the U.S., et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, but it was much more um, uh, fulfilled, that that information, when I, when I came into Havana, which, you know, more people travel, and they brought records. You know, in Cuba, we didn't have the possibility to buy records, and much less uh, jazz records,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which, uh, before my time, it was almost penalized. Oh, really? Uh, yeah um it was um yeah kiwa had uh, a few idealistic uh wrongness in their way uh they thought that uh, that jazz and rock specifically rock but jazz also kind of became part of that uh
0: of that bag sort of that, like the rebellious culture and
2: well it
1: became it became you know we we had a, a big political confrontation uh, with the US and sure. and therefore um, coming from from the leaders uh, of 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 that uh, we can only consume things that were not coming from the US and that means that meant a lot of literature and a lot of uh, music uh, so it was penalized because it was the music from the imperialist music yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the system that we were fighting against mm-hmm. um so that was a a big mess uh and I'm glad that uh that now everything has been softened uh to the point that there has been open a lot
0: so when you when this when all of this was going on, this is really interesting to me, where you were saying, you know it's the imperialism, we're fighting against the United States mm-hmm. was that What did did it feel like it was more the government was fighting with the United States or or you as a Cuban were fighting or were were you kind of like, no, I don't want to be a part of this. I want to I want to like listen to rock music and I don't have a problem with the U.S. But in a totalitarian government. Your voice is
1: completely insignificant. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it didn't matter. And uh, what you thought uh, you had to go with the flow Otherwise, you're completely against it. Right. Uh, I which, meant as
0: personally, how did you feel about it?
1: Well, yeah, personally, of course, uh, I, I listened to jazz and and I listened. But by by my time, by the time I was growing up, uh, that was already softened up a lot.
0: Oh, okay. okay. People
1: from my previous generation, let's say <clears throat> people that were in Cuba in the 60s and the 70s, uh, there was still a lot of uh, a lot of uh, you know restrictions in in terms of of what music you should be playing. Mm-hmm. There were some some people that were that were really fired and kicked out from their schools because they were playing jazz and they were playing rock. Wow! So so that was a I mean, a very intense uh, you know situation for, sure. for for music because because. Uh, Music and, and arts in general should not have uh, limitations, mostly because it's a very individualistic, um, you know, path. And, mm-hmm. and when you put a big, you know, let's say big, uh, totalitarian uh, group of people uh, choosing for that, then then it becomes completely misleading the idea of what art and music is.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting concept to me, too, because I have, you know, I have no idea what that's like to grow. I mean, I could listen to anything that I want and, mm-hmm. you know, the government is OK. I mean, obviously, I think, you know, the there was sort of a, a time in the U.S. when rock was sort of like the devil's music and, and mm-hmm. things like that. But it wasn't a it wasn't a political uh, fight against that uh, against, you know, a certain style of music or or things mm-hmm. like that. So it's interesting just hearing it from your perspective, you know, on the other side of the corner of the music that I grew up with mm-hmm. was sort of prohibited in a, in yeah. the, in the country where you live, which is, which is yeah. amazing.
1: I mean, in my, as I say, in my case, uh, when I came up already, everything was very soft enough mm-hmm. uh, to the point that, it, you know, we had a jazz band in Santa Clara, right, which is, right. you know, which is, which it, it was called like that. Uh, and uh, and uh, and then when I went to Havana, you know, it, it was not a big deal to be playing jazz, and as many of my colleagues and fellow, you know, fellow colleagues that that, that were studying with me mm-hmm. at the same time, we already were playing, and it didn't conflict with with the interest right uh, of the school. Uh, as a matter of fact, in my uh, time, uh, that at that time there were like four or five different bands. That were um, already kind of, uh, you know, uh, solid in, in the school. That they were doing their own repertoire, and they were they, they had their own styles and characteristics, etc., cetera,
0: etc., cetera, and their own, you know, kind of uh, uh, sound. Right, mm-hmm. right. So speaking of schools and and you know the things that are the, the things that you're learning, the things that you're teaching, I'm guessing. In uh, At University of Miami, you're teaching a lot of Latin stuff right
1: I'm teaching a lot of Latin stuff as a foundation for me. The idea of Latin is very wide open because latin if if you look at it by by the, by, by the word itself, Latin which corresponds to Latin American rhythms and that involves Cuba uh, as well um, there are a lot of rhythms. That's a foundation to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most important thing uh, for me is what else are you going to do with it, right? Which is where where I like to point out after you know I teach them you know all those basic things. It's not about only playing the rhythms that have been done and created already, but what else and personal uh, you know ideas you have and, and and the development that I can actually uh, get with different students with the individual Mm -hmm. students you know
0: and the reason why i asked the question is i'd like to talk about a little bit about the the difficulties that you see when people are trying to learn this style who didn't grow up in latin america who are who haven't been listening to this since they were you know since they were born and Mm -hmm. for you know for the 18 year old american who was born and raised in wisconsin and now Mm -hmm. they're trying to learn these these latin styles and because for me i got i got pretty deep into it in college and i think i can speak from experience where the hardest part was not necessarily playing the rhythms but the feel yeah and so what is your what is your advice for people who are are learning it or what are some of the common mistakes that you see when people are trying to learn this new style
1: well i think uh more than the common mistakes, I would like to point out that, that, that let's say, Cuba music, uh, just to be very specific about it, it has a, a, a great deal of syncopation. Uh, therefore, the vocabulary implies that you have to really uh, feel comfortable and relaxed with syncopation. Uh, so going to the basics of it, I think um, before even learning any pattern, you will have to to really develop and step by step getting to really feel good and, and be able to play a uh, syncopation and, and that there are specific exercises for that, uh, which I actually talk uh, a lot uh, some of them in, in, in the book that uh, that I that just came out that okay. I wrote uh, a, a Wall of Rhythmic Possibilities. Um, some of those exercises that I recommend to my students, and we use it as, as a way to actually kind of break that rigidness and, and that stiffness or that uh, lack of of, of compatibility with the vocabulary, with the rhythmic vocabulary that happens in Cuba. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of... Uh, a lot of things to be learned from it Um, because most of that I like to to call it like um, you play in rhythms from inside out, not from outside in. And many, in many cultures, many um, rhythmic styles, Mm -hmm. you know, most, most people, uh, and in this case, drummers, um, they play they play the outside of it. They play a pattern uh which is which is the the archetype the that that macro thing but but the micro meaning that that you be completely aware relaxed and and ready to not only play the rhythm but to play to improvise with it mm-hmm. to be creative with it and to be to use the vocabulary in favor of your ideas and not use the vocabulary uh that it contradicts with your idea so it's almost it's, it's same as learning a language uh in that case where huh. when you learn really the vocabulary from inside out you start dreaming you start thinking with it uh, you know obviously you will have conflicts because you still there are words that you have to kind of translate and things like that but but still uh my point uh when i teach uh you know people that come students that come from different backgrounds i like to point out that uh it's a, it's a different rhythmic vocabulary that that it deals a lot with the syncopation as i mentioned before mm-hmm. and that has to be uh, addressed very early in in studies, at least the way I actually teach, so that we can actually move on. And when I give you some patterns, you are already able to interact with them, not only playing the rhythm per se as inside of a box, and then you're not able to do anything else with it. But 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 you already have somehow a a, a potential. Uh, in the in the inside of of the rhythmic vocabulary, where right. it will allow you to feel comfortable with the rhythm that mm-hmm. you're learning, and and you will obviously learn it uh, much faster. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's like having the the correct pronunciation, in a way of of a language that you will about to learn. You you already right. you already know that pronunciation and the accents and the specific, uh, you know, motifs and the specific, uh, uh, you know, accents and pronunciation and, and, uh, anyway, it's, 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 a nice stylistic, uh, way that, that will really enhance, uh, the drummers, uh, playing within the
0: Latin. So can you give an example of maybe one of the, one of the syncopation exercises that you do, or is it too hard to do in, you know, just talking Not about
1: No, really. This? I mean, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the, uh, Exercises is actually uh, playing the second and the fourth beat and the fourth 16 notes, the second and the fourth 16 note of each beat. Now, in a mathematic way, many drummers uh, will, will be able to, to understand that and, and to place it in your head. However, the way it feels, it is very important that, that it feels uh, as, as relaxed as if you play in the downbeats. Because what happens is that uh, a, lot of, a lot of times, uh, people that don't come from that culture, there is a certain accent and a hiccup, a rhythmic hiccup, <laughs> that, that I tell them uh, that, that it doesn't allow those... Um, those notes that are inside of the beats. That's why I'm saying that most of the people play outside, which is basically on the beats or the off beats or mm-hmm. you know things like that. But the inside of it, you know, like what else can you do within within the beat? Therefore, in in that's in the in the, in the micro,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know, perspective. But then that that becomes part of the whole of the whole thing, like like. Uh, you know, one of the things that I that I teach them is that if you place, um, if you displace, actually eighth notes, uh, which two eighth notes go into one beat, then you just place that in the same the same eighth note. You look at it, just displaced uh, by a sixteenth note. You start it on the second sixteenth note, and then the other one is going to be in the fourth. But the sound of it should be as fluidly as if you were playing the eighth notes in the beat. That's right. the whole, that's the beauty of it, because because when they start with the with the hiccup and the and um, hiccup and the contradiction of of that that you can hardly synchronize that if you're playing let's say with someone else. Then that's the contradiction. Uh, I don't think the the fact is. The, the difficult part I don't think is the understanding. I think the, the difficult part is the is the fact of playing it and that it feels relaxed and musical.
2: hmm
1: You know?
0: It's it reminds me of when I learned the difference between clave and song clave and I was like, wait a minute, it sounds the same to me. And then once it once I realized where it sort of fell in, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, it's just sort of moved a little. Yeah, you know, and it's like just
1: yeah. finding that but, feel. Yeah, but the good thing, the, I mean, the, the the very important thing I will say is that when you place rhythms, at least at in your at, at the starting of it, uh, you have to learn where to place that. You don't play random stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: you know, you you have a very very clear way where are you placing that there is no rhythm that cannot be placed in the matrix of subdivision you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah. you can also sub, you can always subdivide any beat and make a rhythm that apparently sound random but it is intended to sound like that, because there is so much control of the over the subdivision mm-hmm. that it might sound random but it's not random right right so so the subdivision in this case is uh, and, and this happens in in many uh, uh, rhythmic styles I, I I always said that uh, subdivision is is the foundation of a good groove um, is everything is in, in inside that. Even when you play in one and two, you have to feel three and uh you know uh, if you are playing one and three, you have to feel two and four, otherwise how are you going to to place that right you know you just you know you have to feel the two of them even if you're not playing it
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: so that's the subdivision is crucial when it comes to to uh to uh, Cuban rhythms or Latin american rhythms or or any rhythm, uh, you know. When you have a strong foundation, then then the other rhythms from other cultures uh, seems uh, relatively easier. All right.
0: This session is brought to you by my good friends at DW Drums. And I've been playing DW for years, but I also love them not only because they support this podcast, but they support all sorts of drumming initiatives all around the world. And you can learn more about DW, their great products, and their great company, of, uh, their great family of companies, I should say, at dwdrums.com. Evans wants to remind you to let no circle box you in. And their new Level 360 gives you the most consistent fit for your drums so you can get greater tonal range, effortless tuning, and the freedom to express yourself any way you want. To learn more about the 360 and all of the Evans Drumheads products, visit evansdrumheads.com. Now that the bills are paid, let's get back into it with Daphnis Prieto. You had mentioned uh, the book that you wrote, A World of Rhythmic Possibilities, and mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about the book, because I'm guessing that it, it sort of just walks you down the, the path of that, of, of discovering these rhythms.
1: Yeah, I mean,
2: uh,
1: the rhythms, the book in itself uh, is a long journey. It, it has 10 chapters, it has uh, 275 pages, it has uh, 338 uh, audio tracks wow. that I recorded. And also it comes with 33, uh, small video clips that I, that I put there. Um, uh, also that, uh, you know, when people buy it, uh, the book, they, they get a, a code and they can then download it, those mm-hmm. files directly from my uh, website. Now oh, yes. the content of the book is a big journey. Uh, the, there is a chapter that is dedicated to the clave and the cascara, uh, but not only what it has been done uh, beyond that. So it's called the Clave de Cascara um, and beyond. Uh, so, uh, no, their relationship and beyond. So I talked about their relationship as it has been uh, already established uh, between these two patterns. And then I take it a step further uh, to, um, to displace some of the some of these rhythms, uh, this relationship between the two of them and to, to make much more, uh, rhythmic possibilities. Mm-hmm. So that's just an example of one, uh, chapter. I do the same thing with songo, uh, patterns, uh, and I give tribute to, to Changito, uh, which is, uh, one of the most important and the pioneer of these patterns, uh, on that chapter, and and then I I take a step forward, and and do some other rhythmic possibilities with with that, and the, and also I talk about you know the technical aspect of it. Uh, I go through uh, somehow describe my experience uh, of how I I develop uh, rhythmic independence on the drum set and be able to play the clave with my right hand and and playing, uh, you know different uh other patterns with my left hand and the bass drum and that came through the through my experience with the stick control uh so that's another chapter uh that is called a personal experience there, there is another chapter that is called spiritual uh, uh spiritually and emotionally which is just uh it just talks about my uh personal experience with with music and sound and how i see it and and how it came to me and and what i think is the uh you know the values in it mm-hmm.
2: uh,
1: as as a player and uh, as an and in the audience as well so that's that that all uh you know it's is a it's a deep book um it took me like 6 or 7 years to write it jeez yeah so uh, it was a long wait, but I think worthwhile because people right now actually having having a great time with it. I've been getting a really good feedbacks from people that have uh, purchased the book already. Awesome. They, when did they, when did the book come out? It came out in June.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
1: Yeah, in June this year.
0: Mm-hmm. And what I'm gonna do is I'll, the audience knows I always link to everything that we talk about, so mm-hmm. I'll make sure that I put the links in there where people can buy it and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. The you would mention Changuito, and someone mm-hmm. else mentioned him as well uh, in another. I think it was Luis Conte, mm-hmm. and I don't think that I linked to him. And how do you spell that? Changuito, you spell it C H, A, N,
1: G, U, I, T, accentito, and then O. Ah, I was close. That's his, his nickname. His his real name is Jose Luis. Quintana. Ah, That's his real okay. name. Okay. And he was the one that developed a lot of different uh, uh, variations of in the songo style. You know, it's very important to clarify that songo is not a pattern, songo mm-hmm. is a style that has many patterns in it. And it's a style that was uh, uh, fundamentally developed by a band in Cuba named Los Bambang. And Los Bang Bang, uh developed this style since the 70s. And since then, uh, Changuito has been actually uh, developing many variations of it.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: playing it on the drums and also on the timbales. And then variations on the congas. Okay. And each particular song somehow has its own variation. So there are a lot of different uh, variations and and not only variations but patterns of their own uh, that that were distinctive uh, from each other.
0: Hmm. So, will you do me a favor after you and I uh, get off of here? If you can, is there any way that you could maybe give me a small list of maybe some people, some very influential people that that we could could uh, link to for the listeners to check out if they really want to dig deeper in some of the, the influential players that created these things. Sure.
1: I mean, you know, basically, basically we have Changito, uh, you know, taking care of, of the percussive uh, part of it in terms of the, the creative, the creative aspect of, of, of being, you know, on top of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, but I give you, I give you a few names of, of the, also the conga player that was actually part of the band and,
0: Okay, and yeah, and just other artists. I I love to give people some some examples of who they can listen to. Like if we were talking about jazz, I would say okay, go listen to Elvin Jones, go listen to Miles Davis, go listen to you know. So uh, I always like to give people some some listening exercises to go check out because for I think for us for Americans who are listening to it, it's it's difficult for us to sort of weed out the uh, the correct from the incorrect. If you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, sure. No, no, and 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 the most important part is the sound. So. The the, the 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 very the the bottom and the top of it uh it it starts and it ends with mm-hmm. uh, with sound you know you can go into the meticulousness of 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 being very uh academic about all the insights of it right. but the, the ultimate state and everything else uh it has to be based on sound and and that is what the sound that it moves you and and it makes you, um, you know, become a drummer or or anything else uh, related to, to music. I always, you know, one of the students that I had, uh, this is a very interesting story. He, he came from a very well-known college. Uh, he came to study with me when I was actually teaching at NYU. Um, and then I have a very particular way of teaching because I like, the students, not only to to be passive. I like I like them to be uh, active, in terms of, of using their ears when they're learning.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not only when they're passively listening to music, but when in the process of learning, that's a good way. Uh, you actually uh, you know keep them being alert and and being active sure. or in the process. And um, and he when I start singing to him some of the freedoms, and I say, okay, play this here, I want you to play this thing, and I start imitating those sounds uh, on his side. And, and he was completely um, astonished that, that, that I did not put, write those patterns in a board or, or, or write it for him to play. So he could not actually, he was not able to play them at the beginning, obviously, Um, by just simply by me, you know, singing and replicating the sounds to him. So he say, no, but my previous teachers, they just wrote the patterns and then I play it. And I say, but, but the reason why you are into music is because of sound. Um, you know, you, you are not into music because, because one of the sudden you just saw a a music score and you say, I love music. The way it looks, I, I must become a musician. Right. You know, uh the way you become a musician is because you love sound. Mm-hmm. So so you will have to really uh, uh you know develop your ears and your intuition and how you are going to place those sounds uh that somehow are imaginary uh sounds, uh and and put it in a in a very specific way on your drum set. Mm-hmm. That's very important, and not only to rely on what is written, because what is written is just a, a, a representation of, of of what you are going to end up playing. What you're going to end up playing is what is music. Music is not what is written. That's notation. That's written is written music.
0: Mm-hmm. That's sort of your guide, and then you need to interpret it yourself. Correct. That's correct. You know, that's that's the technical aspect of it in right. a way. You know. Right. And do you think people get too hung up on the on the technical and not enough on the emotional and on the. I think the... so.
1: I think I think people uh, not only in rhythms but also in harmony and melody. Now that I'm teaching uh, composition, as well in uh, the Frost School of Music, I realize that students have a very knowledgeable-based uh, foundation of harmony uh, coming from a very, um, you know, academic way, which which is which is, you know, the, 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 the looking at it, the knowing, the knowing, mm-hmm. but, but the experience of, of, okay, you know that, but, but you don't know what to do with it. Right. You know what it is, but you don't know what to do with it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's like knowing what a banana is, but you don't know what to do with a banana. <laughs> there, there are a lot of things to do with a banana. You can eat it naturally. You can do cakes with it. You can do uh, many other things with, with the banana, you know, just to give you an example with an apple or any other fruits or any, any you know what it is, but you don't know what else to do with it. So that's, sure. that's where art becomes. The first thing is the knowing uh, in a way, but, but uh, anyway, that's a long talk, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that it, that it happens in, in many, uh, you know, kind of a specializations in within music
0: huh? right so i want to switch gears a little bit and talk about and this sort of ties into what we were what we were just talking about in terms of learning things and then turning them into music so mm-hmm. what are what is your approach to practicing and and how do you how do you suggest that people practice and i know that no not everybody has a one one size fits all thing but i i would love to hear how you approach it how you think students do approach it to learn the mechanics, learn the technical, and then get that into your playing musically so it doesn't just sound like you're playing this mechanical thing. Yeah,
1: well, you know, in, uh, it involves a lot of things, but basically it involves your physical uh, drums are very physical instruments so you would really um, or any drum i mean any instrument is is physical you it, it doesn't it doesn't get played if you don't do something about it um so that you know you have to learn how to smoothly uh move around the the key mm-hmm. so that you can you can fluidly uh play uh anything you want but to me the most fundamental and important thing is that In my case, and this is what I, what I suggest my students, I do not stop practicing even when I am not in front of the drum set. So the drum set is the physical aspect of it, Mm -hmm. but the intellectual and emotional of it, I'm carrying that within myself. So I don't need to practice in the, to be in front of the drum set to practice independence. I don't need to be in front of the drum set to practice vocabulary. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be in front of the drum set to imagine sounds, uh, to really have a feel for a specific groove, the understanding of it. And all of that is much more than the 50% uh, of what you end up playing. I mean, the rest of it is just... uh, you know, putting yourself in front of the drum set and, and execute, obviously you, as I say at the beginning, you will have to also practice, you know, moving around the drum set and Mm -hmm. and getting your coordination and, but the coordination, and the independence, you can do it in your, just tapping, tapping your, in, in your legs and, 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 you know, and you don't need to have the actual instruments. Right. So I, I am I am I'm a believer on the idea that you carry your drums within yourself,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, and that that will really you will be able to little by little, uh, in 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 different uh, times during the day you will be able to practice. I tell my students as a joke that i um, I'm almost constantly uh, practicing, even when I'm having a conversation that i'm not interested on
0: so you've is... been practicing this whole time then no we... <laughs>
1: i'm interested about this because, no, because this is something that i love to do and i'm um, you know besides performing uh you know playing around you know my music and and with with a lot of great artists that have been you know uh have the privilege to play with teaching to me has become a big thing mm-hmm. uh has been a great path for me to, to not only give them, but to get from uh, a lot of uh, information and, and a lot of how to do things. And, and, uh, and, uh, and I've learned a lot. And it's a great spiritual path mm-hmm. as well uh, to, to have that idea of giving someone, you know, advices and, and receive a feedback from it and see them, Grow uh, with time, and and you know I have already students that they play in professionally in New York, and they're doing a great career, and uh, that makes me feel old, but also very <laughs> proud. Right. Uh, so you know I keep in touch with them and, and etc. So mm-hmm.
0: one thing touching on what you said about practicing when you're not in front of the kit, they've actually done studies with basketball players, and they have one group of of uh, they have one group of players practice every day, they have one group of players, not practice, but think about shooting the, shooting free throws, mm-hmm. uh, and then they have another group of people who don't practice and don't think about it at mm-hmm. all, and the people who practiced and the people who thought about practicing showed the same level of improvement over a six week period.
1: Yeah, I, I, it's amazing. I, imaginary is a, is a great thing to do. It's a, is a great thing to develop. It's the same with creativity. You don't wait for a moment to be creative. Mm-hmm. Creativity is an attitude.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a way to be curious and, and 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 try to dig more into what you already know or into something else. Right. But so you don't. That, that's what I advise my students: don't wait to practice these exercises or these rhythms. Uh, don't wait to be in front of the drums. I, in my personal case, if I only practice. Uh, when I was in front of the drum set, I could have probably even played half of what I play now, because most of the material that I practice and I developed, I did it uh, in my mind. Mm-hmm. And then when I came to the drum set, you know, I I kind of test that and, and see, okay, this sounds good, et cetera, et cetera. Right. That. Uh, but a lot has to do with your inner development,
0: you know. Hmm. Yeah, I there's I, you know I agree with you, and there's been studies to prove that. Uh, there's been numerous studies to prove that. So. I, so
1: I have proven that myself. So, right. Uh, uh, by my power with, of the mind with my own experience. So, uh, I'm glad that, that someone has put that into a text.
0: Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you about uh, about the award that you won, the MacArthur fellows program Mm -hmm. and the award. Um, so for, for the people, and I want to make sure that that I say this correctly, but for, so you win this award and then they pay you X amount of dollars over a five year period. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, well, I have two questions about it. I read that it was, so they say the award is 500,000. Is that divided among all the people who win or does each person get that? No,
1: each person gets that.
0: Good Lord. Yeah. Okay, so the second question is, uh, how did, did you apply for that, or did they seek no. you out?
1: They seek me out, I think, and, and that's a great thing, and, and I'm going to actually um, just say my insights about it, a mm-hmm. little bit of, of, of what he said. Okay. I think uh, people should not apply for awards. If you look at it in a plain or more rational sense. How would you apply for an award? Anyone or everyone would like to be awarded. Mm -hmm. So why would you apply for it? I think awards are something you deserve, something that you have proven already and you have not, the effort itself is in the content of what you do.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You should not seek for an effort. You should not do an Extra effort to apply for it. So when you're talking about awards that, to me, are more fake awards, uh, that people make application for it, to me, I will call them competitions, right? Because you put in the you put in the the you know in this case the artists just to be more specific to compete with each other. But if you are being selected by a very specific group and they give you an award, then, then your efforts has been heard without you going beyond that effort. The effort in itself is the arts and, the, and what you have done with it. Mm-hmm. You know, that idea of, of, that has been later on developed by many organizations here in the US and maybe in, in, in some other parts of the world which I'm not going to mention the name, <laughs> uh, but you probably have a hint already of some of them. You know that you apply for an award. I think I think that's completely immoral, and mm-hmm. and I think uh, it has nothing to do with the with what uh, real artists should be uh, worrying about it.
0: Or right. and you know, I wasn't sure if this was sort of a a I don't want not a scholarship but along the lines of a scholarship where it, they're saying well you know you apply for it and if and you win so that you can help further your career or your craft not necessarily I didn't necessarily think of it like applying to just say hey I won this award kind of thing no so, but
1: that happens for example if you look at the Grammys that's what it is you apply to be awarded you submit it right yeah, but submission is a softened word for application.
0: <laughs> no, I agree. I'm, yeah, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not disagreeing, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, so, you know, for example, I mean, you know, I I, I have my doubts about that process.
0: Right. Have you? Uh, I mean, you've submitted music for to be for yeah, a Grammy, I've right?
1: and I'm, I'm, uh, currently I'm not submitting it. Uh, right. If someone wants to submit my work, that's fine, but I'm not going to... Uh, spend my time trying to, you know, get people recognition for something that I consider is not uh, integral.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so in any way, that's a long talk too. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, I was awarded. I didn't know about it, which is the wonderful thing about it. And, uh, and therefore, um, you know, I enjoyed that. This is my last year. Uh, so next year, I'm going back to reality. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's a great thing. It's a great recognition, mm-hmm. which I think that's what awards are for. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why, specifically, I, I don't think uh, people should be uh, you know, uh, applying for it.
0: And but from what I understand, this is like a no-strings-attached thing, right? No-strings-attached, which, yeah. is,
1: which is how awards should be. There sure. is a difference of be, having an award, of being awarded, or having a grant, mm-hmm. when you apply, and I am completely in favor
0: of that, you know,
1: mm-hmm. you apply because you want to get a, 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 somehow a fundraising or, or somehow
0: a- And you know, that's not to cut you off, but that's sort of what I was asking, and I just yes. didn't, I didn't phrase it well, yes. uh, but that's what I was asking if it was a grant that you applied for, yeah, that's apl- the word I was looking you for. You
1: definitely have 150% all the rights, and that's the right thing to do, to apply for commissions, to apply for grants, mm-hmm. apply for supports of a specific project that you're doing, or any kind of things that you that, that you have in your mind that you will need support for. That's a different category than an award. right? It,
0: right, it right. has a different connotation. Huh? Yep. And that's what I was asking if it was an award or a grant. So thank you for uh, clearing that up though. It, I...
1: is, it, is, it is completely an award and, it, right. and it's not, it doesn't have any string attached, therefore uh it doesn't it doesn't fall into the grants or commissioning thing.
0: Right. Well, oh. I think it's amazing that that you <laughs> won it. So congratulations on that. And... Me too. Thank you. It's, <laughs> it's a great
1: it's a great thing to actually uh being uh, selected. Mm-hmm. Uh in fact, the only drummer uh that so far has been um also selected, it was Max Roach. Oh, in really? 1988. Wow. So, so since the 88, uh, until now, I will say almost, uh, 30 years or so.
0: Yeah. Cause it started, I'm looking at the site. I th- it started in 81 actually.
1: Yeah. So in 88, Max Rush was elected and, and uh, and, uh, and now me. So that's, uh, it feels, uh, to be,
0: uh, it's a great company. Eh? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I would, I would say so. <laughs> and well deserved for you. Too. Yeah,
1: thank you. Well, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Sure.
0: So, if people want to learn more about you, they want to pick up the book and all that stuff. I'm guessing you would just direct them to uh, daphnisonmusic.com.
1: That's correct. That's my website, and and daphnisonmusic.com is the umbrella where I I've been releasing all my albums, uh, and I I released and published my book also, and I will continue. Uh, Developing that and releasing much more works in the in the future on the, the Daphne song music So anyone that that wants to you know, know more about me or my teachings Or my music they they can find all of that in Daphne music dot
0: okay, and I'll and again like I said, I'll link to I'll link to your website, your book, and all of that in the show notes so that people can check that out. So if they want to pick up the book, which I highly recommend, and go to your site, learn more about you or follow you or whatever they would like to do to interact with you. So
2: Yeah,
1: beautiful. I, I love to, to stay in touch with people that are interested uh, in, in the same things that I'm interested on. Right. Uh, so we can both discover uh, something new, most probably. <laughs> I like it. I like it.
0: Well, Daphnis, thanks for chatting with me i appreciate you spending all this time talking to me it was, it was great to get to know you because you and i you know we've we've never we've never met or chatted before so it was really great to get to talk to you today and and get to know a lot more about you congratulations on all your success and i wish you nothing but success in the future
1: well thank you the same to you it was very nice uh talking to you and the, and doing the interview and i wish you all the best with this uh very nice project that you have of of the uh the drummers uh, resource podcast and uh wish you all the
0: best man well thank you i appreciate it and you're welcome back anytime it'd be great to have you again thank you i will see you then all right (laughs) thank you bye 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 So there you have it, the one and only Daphnis Prieto. I hope that you enjoyed that. I hope that you got to know him a little bit better the same way that I did. Again, I'd never never talked to him before, never contacted him before or anything, so it was great to hear his story, great to hear the knowledge that he has. And if you haven't checked out some of his playing, do yourself a favor and do that. He is insane behind the kit so definitely uh, musical and, and incorporates all of the, the Latin style and stuff into his playing which is just really really great to watch and very musical so check that out and for all the links to everything that we talk about including how you can pick up his new book a world of rhythm possibilities you can visit drummersresource.com forward slash session two one six and if you haven't already please do me a favor leave a rating or a review for the podcast you can do that on itunes and it helps the podcast show up higher in the search results and helps let more people find out about the podcast and i would really appreciate it and until the next podcast keep drumming thank you so much for listening i really do appreciate it and i'll be talking to you soon peace